Okay, I, I need a volunteer. Somebody, come up, Joel. But you're going to have to put your coffee down because you're going to have to have two hands. So, Okay, so several years ago, I don't even remember, it's, it's five, six, seven, maybe closer to 10 years ago, I was in Goldthwaite, Texas. You know where Goldthwaite is? A little small town. I was doing a disciple now with them. And so I, I had all of these kids around, sixth grade through 12th grade, and I had just got done with this this magic class that I took. And the reason why I took this magic class, people laugh at me for it, but every now and then I get asked to speak to children, not teenagers. And that's really not, not my wheelhouse at all. I don't do well with them. I'm, and, and so I, I'd learned some of these magic trick type things, real like elementary level things, things that, that make my 10-year-old, my six-year-old go, wow, but make adults go, are you kidding me? Those type magic tricks? Because I thought if they ever asked me to do something with children, I can work something up and it'll blow their mind. So I had been in Goldthwaite, and so I was showing some of these kids one of these tricks. And so, so I, we're going to do it. So Joel, there's a pencil, and you can look at it like a good mu- magician. I almost said musician. Like a good magician, you're checking that out for me. That's a regular pencil, right? Yep. Okay. There's, nothing, there's, not, there's no trick about it. So that's a regular dollar bill. Okay. Right, my wallet. Correct? Okay, so... What I want you to do is I want you to take this dollar bill and I want you to break this pencil in half with it. Do you think you could do that? I'll hold the, I'll hold the pencil for you. Here, let's turn a little side so they can see. Please just, just take the dollar bill and... Can you not do it? You're not even going to try? <laughs> well, we don't, we don't have all morning, so... <laughs> you're going to do one of those mentalism things while you're thinking about it. Not, no, just like hit it with it. No, 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 just hit it with it. This is not, this is not Aggie engineering here. It's, it's simple. Yeah, like that. Break it, though. Break the pencil like that. Can you do just it? Just with the dollar bill? Yeah, just with the dollar bill. Think you can do it? I can show you the trick how to do it. You want me to show you how to do it? It's just, just hitting, yeah. Like, see, okay, see, see okay, I need you to hold it. The trick is this. A lot of people don't realize that the sharper the edge of something, the more power it has to. It's a physics thing. You put physics into, you know, like a pinprick has a very small point. The more force into that pinprick, the, the deeper it goes. So you're on the right track. You've got you've to fold it. But you've got to get, this is gross to some people out, putting a dollar bill in your mouth. Yeah, that's kind of gross. It's all right. Yeah. So you've got to get it as... At, at, as knife sharp as you can, okay? Now, yeah, you hold it because you got to hold it tight. So can you all see okay? No. Here, come back this way. Can everybody see at least okay? Okay. Well, hold on. It's got to be sharp, okay? okay? Hold on. It works. Hold on. Okay, right? Blowing minds of 10-year-olds in parenting teen class everywhere. You ever watch, like, a good illusionist? Like, you know, like, like the guys that get paid to do that kind of stuff? And, and you, you watch them, and, and you, their, their tricks, like, blow your mind, right? I mean, that's why we go watch an illusionist. We, we, we want that, that experience, that, that wonder of what just happened, especially if they're those guys that can do, like, the card tricks, like, on the street. Those guys are the best, right? I mean... 
they like show you like a card. Here's the ace of spades. And you're like, okay. And they put it in your hand. And then they tell you to put your hand on top and don't let it go. And they do something. They go, now look. And you look and you have like the three hearts. And you're like, whoa, how did that happen? And, and you leave the illusionist show. Or you leave kind of the street guy. And you, and you gather around your friends. And you, you start talking about it, right? You're like, how do you think he did that? We had Drew Worsham a couple, uh, I guess last semester, came in and did all kinds of like mentalism and, and tricks. And, and afterwards, you could hear kids in the hallway and they're like, I, I think I know how he did this and I, I have no idea how he did that. And that blew my mind. That wonder and that mystery is what makes those things so much fun. Sometimes wonder and mystery in, in a good way causes us to to, to do and to learn new things. I mean, that, that's kind of how, you know, ex- exploring happened. You know, people went, I wonder what's on the other side of the forest. I wonder what's on the other side of the ocean. And they, they loaded up and they went out and they pioneered and they discovered new things. For me, now I was not that, that bright or that intelligent. When I was a kid, I remember looking at a stapler and, and, and thinking, you know, you put the staples in and they're all like, you know, U-shaped upside down. And, and I, You'd staple a piece of paper, and they went from U-shaped to, you know, where the stapler bends and holds something together. And I remember as a kid, like, looking at it and, and, and trying to figure that out, kind of just that engineering mind. It was a mystery of how that worked. And, and I see these grooves at the bottom of the stapler, which is what actually, you know, bends the, the staple over. But as like a, as like a nine-year-old, I, I had questions, I had mystery, and like, like, well, what happens to the staple if something gets in between that and never hits those grooves? Then what would happen? And so I did what, like, any idiot nine-year-old would do. I thought, well, if I put my finger right there and keep it and I staple it, it hurts really bad. That's what I discovered. And, and the staple doesn't, doesn't bend over and you pull it out. And had one of those moments, I just, the wonder of how this, how this works and what would happen pushes you to, to explore, try new things. Science. And that, that's, you, you know, science and faith, they, they are not mutually exclusive to each other. We have this idea like in our Western thought that like science, you have to choose between science and being a person of intelligence or faith and being a person who believes in the spiritual and the supernatural. Do you know how flawed that thinking is? If you look back at some of the greatest scientists that that there's ever been, the ones, the guys that have given us uh, uh, theories and given us things that have now been proven that have changed science, you know how many of them were faithful believers? wasn't mutually exclusive. What, what, what these guys did is they, because of their faith, they, they understood that God was big and that God was, was hard to, to, to wrap their minds around. But they looked at the, at the world around them. They said, God is creator. If he created this, if we can understand the creation a little better, then we can understand God a little better. And so some of the great scientists of our, of our past they, they explored science and they asked questions and they did theories and they did research because of, not in spite of, faith in God. In fact, today, I mean, in, in 2016, you would, you would be amazed at how many scientists and astronomers and biologists that are out there who are faithful, strong believers, and science is not incompatible to their faith. In fact, some of them, many of them, science has bolstered their faith because what they have studied have pointed them to the Creator, and they know now more than they ever did, and their faith is much stronger. Sometimes that mystery, the asking the questions of the unknown and what's next, and you know, talking about science, though, sometimes mystery pushes us in the direction to know more, 
And that is a great thing. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Sometimes, though, there are mysteries that we're just going to have to be okay with not ever being able to explain. And it's not just things in the Bible. There are some things in the Bible that are, that are difficult, but there's things on our planet that great scientists will not be able to explain. I mean, we, we love researching space, but if space goes on and on and on and on, like we believe it to be scientifically, we have to come to the understanding, the conclusion, and be okay with, we will never know it all. We will, we will never be able to, to, to go that far, no matter what our technology is, to go out into the eternity of space. So there's going to be some questions. There's going to be some mystery. Even on our own planet, like a volcano, and we know lots about volcanoes. We know lots about magma and lava, and we know that. But you know what, you know what we haven't done? Sent somebody through the lava to the bottom of the volcano. We don't have anything that can do that. We have a lot of science and a lot of research, but some of it, some of, some of our ideas are just based on good theory because we've never done it. They're parts of the ocean that we, we can't get down to for any long period of time to do study. So we have some guesses, some best guesses based on what we do know and, and some theory. But at the end of the day, there are going to be some things on our own planet that scientifically we're going to have to lean more into faith than we are to fact. The mystery is just going to sit there and we're going to have to be okay with it. Now, I want you to understand this. We kind of close out the Stranger Things series. There is and always will be mystery and wonder connected to God. It's always going to be there. And here's why. Because God is bigger than you and I are. God is eternal from beginning and eternal to the end, and we're not. Now, we have an eternity to the end, but we have a, a finite beginning, and God does not. He's bigger than that. God is creator. We're, we're, we're part of the creation. We're, the, we're this little bitty speck in, in, in history uh, to a God who, who is bigger than the, that created the entire universe. God, God is spirit. He's not tangible. We're not going to be able to walk up and like high-five him and study him and look at him in a way that we might a, a frog or something under a microscope or even seeing something through a telescope. So we have to understand that, that, that there is and always will be some mystery about God, and we've got to be okay with that. And here's, here's the good thing about that. If you could understand God and every mystery that he is, if he gave you that opportunity and you were able to explain Every facet of God, if you, could under, if you could sit down and explain to your kids, let me explain to you the Trinity, how God is God the Father, how he's Jesus the Son, and how he's the Holy Spirit in a way that totally makes sense to you that you go, oh, I've got it with no more questions. That'd be great. If you could, under, if you could really explain how God is 100% graceful and at the same time 100% just, that'd be a great thing. But there's some mystery that we can't explain because we're not God. And if we could, we would have defined God and we would have, I, I like to paint the picture, we would have put him in this box. And we would have said, hey, God is in this box and we've got it now all figured out and we've got him all wrapped up and, and we've put a, a nice bow on who God is. And I've got all the, question, all the answers to all the questions. I, I know exactly what God would do in every situation. That would be great. But you know what that would do? That would make you God and God something different. Because you would be bigger than he is. You'd be more powerful and more, more all-knowing than God himself is. And, and while we, we chase after that, 
And in some ways, it's not a bad thing to, to chase after and know God better. It's just not ever going to happen. And so as a believer, or even somebody who maybe you're not a believer and you're, you're just you're questioning, just understand this, you will never have all the answers. And if you're going, I am not going to follow Jesus, I'm not going to trust Jesus until I have every question that I've ever wanted to know answered to my satisfaction, you're, you're, not, you're never going to cross the line into a relationship with Jesus. That there, there's something to be said for, and the scripture talks about a lot, faith. I don't know, but I trust. So there is mystery in our universe. There's mystery in our world. We're actually, we're wired to be drawn to it, right? I mean, you watch movies and TV shows that are mysterious and you go, man, I love that because it kept me guessing I didn't know. Now we like to know the answer at the end because we're, we're Western in our thinking, but there is going to be mystery. And here's what I want you to understand. Mystery leads us to wonder. And wonder is a part of worship. Being able to go, I don't know, but God, I trust you, might be one of the most worshipful statements a person could say. And so we're going to look at a passage of Scripture as we close out the Stranger Things in Luke chapter 24, that if, if you've been a believer for a while or you've come to church, maybe, again, you're not following Jesus at this moment, but you've come to church and you're checking things out, you, you might be familiar with this story it's pretty much the linchpin of the Bible. We're going to look at the resurrection. But for a lot of us, we would have never put the resurrection in a Stranger Things story because we've become so familiar with it. I mean, we, we do it at Easter every year. Even people who are just kind of Christmas and Easter church attenders, they know this story, the story of the resurrection. But if you think about it, is there anything stranger than God becoming man in the form of Jesus being crucified as an innocent man by his creation, dying, put in a grave, and three days later, coming back to life. The resu- that, that is a Stranger Things story. We become familiar with it, but if you go out here, or, or maybe not here in the Bible Belt, if you go up north where stories of Scripture are not as familiar, and you start going, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He, he died, and three days later, he was raised from the dead. People would go, you are insane. It's definitely a Stranger Things story. And so we, there's, the Gospels give us different uh, perspectives of them. We're going to look at Luke's. Let me tell you this, though, before we get into it. I might have shared this with you before. But it, it gives a good illustration of where our culture is at and what I'm asking you to do. Our culture is a culture of proof, and I'm asking you to lean into wonder as a part of worship. Several years ago, I had a guy ask me, he said, hey, what is, what is the most important story or, or part of the Bible? Now, I didn't really want to answer because I thought it was like a trick question. And so I just, I was like, well, what do you think it is? And he said, would you, he said, the resurrection of Jesus. Do you agree that the resurrection is kind of what I said a minute ago, the linchpin of your faith? And I said, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll give you that. And he said, well, you know, if you take Matthew's account, Mark's account, Luke's account, and John's account of the resurrection, and you, you put them on a timeline, do you know that they're incompatible? That does not work? One, one person says, this person got here first. Another person says, this person got here first. And if you try to timeline it out, well, I mean, at this point, when I'm having this conversation with them, I've got a master's degree in Christian education. I mean, I'm not like a 14-year-old kid, like, what? And so I told them, I was like, no. So I sat down one night, pulled out Matthew's account, Mark's, Luke's, John's, and started, okay, let's timeline this out. Couldn't do it. It's impossible. And, 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 he, and so his whole 
observation to me or his point was, if, if the Bible can't get the most important thing right, how can you trust it? That's a great question. You know what it shows? It shows the Western mentality of how we have to have proof and everything fit the way we want it to fit. In Eastern culture, in Jesus' time, was not, that wasn't a big deal. But, but for us, we're like, I'm not crossing the line. I'm not saying yes until everything is laid out and everything makes sense in the way that, that I want it to make sense. Now, let me give you this. This is really, this is just free. This is not a part of where we're going. But I don't want to throw out there that the Gospels don't line up and then move on. You're like, wait, what? Because that's what I did. I'm like, okay, well, well I, there, there's got to be some answers out there. And so I started researching, looking to it, and what I realized was something that was spectacularly simple, but made total sense. And, and, and what people looked at, and they said, this, listen, you have to understand, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written at the bare minimum 30, 25 to 30 years after, after the resurrection. Mark's gospel is the first one. John Mark is uh, recording Peter's story, and, and it's written 50, 55 AD, Jesus died, 30-ish, probably somewhere around there we're guessing. So, so some time has passed, and the disciples are going, hey, we need, to, we need to take this oral story that we've been telling everybody. We need to record this because we're not going to be here forever. And they actually took it from, this is just some Bible history. There's a document out there that we don't know where it is. We just believe it existed, and they've called it the document Q. And, and they believe that was the first written recording. And that then Mark uh, from Peter and Luke and John and Matthew kind of took that and said, let me tell you my story and kind of told their story based on that structure. Well, let me illustrate it this way. So this, this is a true story. Several years ago, when I was uh, in junior high, maybe early high school, uh, my, my mom gave us chores. And my job was to dust the house every week. Brian, my middle brother's job was to vacuum the house every week. Brad, my oldest brother, had to clean all the bathrooms. And the, the rule was, you had to do your chores before you did anything on Saturday. So we usually did them Saturday morning, well, my mom's gone, my dad's gone, and it's just us home. My, my brother, Brian's about to head out with some friends. And, and I remember where we were at. We were, we were living in Germany uh, in this little apartment complex the military gave us. And, and as my brother and his friend are walking out the door, my mom walks in to kind of meet. And my mom goes, hey, where are you going? He's, oh, we're going out to hang out. My mom goes, have you, have you done your chores yet? Vacuum. And he goes, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I already did them. Which he hadn't. And she goes, oh, that's interesting. You vacuumed? And he goes, yeah. And she goes, because the vacuum's broken. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. We had this little tight, you know, tight woven army carpet. And he goes, he goes, oh, I know, I got it out. And so I, I swept the carpet off because it's broken. And she goes, the vacuum cleaner's not broken. <laughs> and just spiraling his story out of control. So we tell that story. And me, I remember where I, was, I remember sitting in the, in, in the chair, this big chair we had, oversized chair. I'm sitting it sideways. I remember my brother standing right there by the cabinet where the vacuum cleaner is. My mom coming in, his friend standing there. My mom remembers that too. If you go and ask my brother who's down the hallway right now to tell that story, he'll tell you virtually the same story, but he says it happened in Colleen, Texas, and that we were sitting in the den and he was going out the garage door. My mom and I swear, no, we were in Germany. He says, I swear, no, we were there. Here, here's the dilemma. We're talking about two different continents on where the story took place. He doesn't agree, I don't agree. Does that mean the story wasn't true? No. The point of the story was not what continent it was. The point of the story and what happened was that he lied to my mom and got caught. Now, 20 years later for us, the details are a little fuzzy. It's the same thing that's happening in the Gospels. 
they're recording the story as best they remember, and their point is not for a Western world to go, one day, some people are going to want to put this all in order, so let's all get together, and let, how are you saying it, how are you saying it? They're telling their story, and the point of the story is we went to the tomb, and Jesus wasn't there. The point of the story isn't, well, so-and-so went first. And so what you do is when you start talking about uh, literary apologetics, looking at ancient documents, what, what apologists will tell you, and people who are being fair, they're not being Christian biased, what they're being fair is they say the fact that the four accounts don't have the details all perfect is a sign that it's authentic rather than somebody getting together and just copying everyone else's story. So actually this this, this problem that the guy presented with me to, what I realized was it's not a problem. It's actually more evidence to believe what they say because they're just telling their story as best they remember it 20 years later, and they don't care to try to convince us on the details. They want us to understand the big picture of what happened. That makes sense? That's free. It has nothing to do with wonder and mystery. Um, in fact, it's just the opposite. Let's look at Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Let me get there. If I can find it in my Bible. Okay. So it says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, the ladies, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Now understand this too. This is another picture. This story is not a clean story. Because in Jesus' day, or the days that this was written in, in, the, in the early first century, if you want to tell a compelling story that you want to convince people to believe, and ladies, don't be offended when I say this. It's just culture from that in history. You would not have made the women first people on the scene. Because in that culture, and again, I'm not saying it's right, in that culture, women were not, were not in the same social status as men. They, they were a much lower class. They were, not, uh, they were not able to give testimony like men would give testimony in court of law and things like that. So when we read the story, again, this is not some polished up, let's convince everybody. Luke's just telling the story the way that he learned it. And he says, hey, I understand that the ladies got there first. Here's the cool thing. In a world, in a culture where women were second class, the message of the scripture, contrary to what people who don't understand the Bible would tell you, women are elevated in scripture. They were not second class citizens. Jesus loved women and elevated them up to the same status as men. And this story gives us a pretty good picture of that. They went to the tomb, taking the spices they prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. So they go to the tomb. Nobody's there. And again, I'm reading from the ESV. It says perplexed. That makes me feel like they're like, hmm. That, that word there that's used in the Greek means that, that they were doubting to the point of despair. It's kind of, kind of that idea. They, they, were, they were at a loss for what happened because bodies don't just disappear. Graves don't just get robbed, especially, and we know this from the other Gospels, when there are armed soldiers in front of the tomb. So they get there, the tomb's empty, and they don't know what is going on. They're confused, they're upset, they, they, they don't know what this means, and then boom, in a Stranger Things moment, two angels appear, the scripture says, in dazzling apparel. Verse 5, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, these angels, why do you seek the living among the dead? That's a great question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? We're gonna circle back to that in a little bit. Verse six, he is not here, but he is risen. Remember I told you 
while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. That, that, that makes me have questions. Like, like the angels remind me, like, remember Jesus told you that all this would happen. Jesus told you he'd be crucified and that he'd rise again. And for some reason, in the midst of all of, of it happening, none of them went, oh, hey, Jesus said this would happen. They got so caught up in the moment, so caught up in the emotions that, that they forgot and took this moment of clarity with these angels to go, hey, remember back? You're confused, you're perplexed. This was all, this was all spoken to you. And all of a sudden, the, the memories flood back and they, they remember. Verse nine, returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them. We told these things to the apostles. And look at this. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Isn't that a Stranger Things story right there? They came back, and they told what they said, and there were angels there. And they went back and said, remember, the angels remind us, remember Jesus said this. And the disciples, Judas has hung himself at this point. There's 11 disciples. They haven't added Matthias in, and all the rest. And they go, it seems too strange doesn't make sense. That's kind of some slack. They're emotionally and spiritually exhausted at this time. And you and I both well know we don't tend to think logically when we're thinking emotionally, right? I mean, you have fights that, you know, like with your kids or fights with your spouse and, and you're, you're heated and it's, it's passionate and, and you say things and you do things. And even the way you think doesn't make sense when you reflect back on it later, right? When you come out of the emotion, you think more clearly. They're emotionally, spiritually exhausted. We'll cut them some slack. But here's verse 12. And verse 12 is really where we see uh, a moment of clarity for us this morning. But Peter, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. Now look at this. And he went home marveling at what had happened. I don't know about you, but if I'm Peter, I've got about a million questions right? Peter doesn't go to try to track down the angels. There were angels here earlier. You know, did they leave anything behind? Where are they at? Calling out, hey guys, you know, he, he didn't go over to, to uh, the, the Romans and go, hey, what happened? Where's the body? He didn't go try to find the soldiers. I want to hear your account because the ladies told this kind of crazy story. It says he went home marveling at what happened. He went home with wonder in his heart. He went home going, you know what? Not sure I'm going to know all the answers that I want to know. But Jesus is alive. And he let that wonder lead him to worship. So what do we do? I mean, this is hard for us because we're Western, because we're a, a proof type people, because we want the plans. We don't want to venture out until we know. I want to give you a couple things to think through this week and, and maybe wrestle with, not just on yourself, with yourself, but with your kids. And here's the first thing I want to ask you to do. Would you make the decision today, this week, to trust God with mysteries? Would you be okay with that? I mean, you, you are not going to know every answer to every spiritual question you have. You just won't. But you can know who knows the answers. You may not know them, but God's got everything under control. And you may not have it all under control. You may not know all the answers. There may be some things that, that you have to trust in but who better to trust than the person who does have all the answers? But that, that, is, 
That's difficult to us. We struggle with that. The angels ask the people, why, why are you seeking, ladies, why are you seeking the living among the dead? That's a great question. I mean, it's a pertinent question in 2016. If you're a believer and you say you follow Jesus, why are you seeking life in the things of the world? Why have you taken what God has promised and what God has said is right and set it to the side to chase after the things of a dead, fallen, and broken world? Why is it that we allow the approval of other people, our kids' parents, I mean, our kids' friends' parents, the people at work, our neighbors, why do we let their approval become more important to us than the approval of the God who loves us and created us and died on the cross for us. You know, when we do that, when we go, I want the approval of, of these people over the approval of God, you realize that's a trust issue? Because we know that if I get this, these people's approval, if these people go, hey, their kids are really good in sports. Hey, their kids, they're in the honor roll and they're in NHS and, and, and they're gonna go to this college. If these people over here that are our friends look and go, man, they've got parenting all figured out. And so, so we, we ne- we're never authentic with people. We lead our friends to believe that our parenting life and our marriage and everything is all perfect because we want their approval. We get immediate satisfaction from that. But when God says, I, I want you to be less concerned about that and I want you to be concerned with me, I want you to lay aside some of the things that you've been chasing after so that you can gain other people's approval for something I want you to have, problem is God rarely says to us, here's the plan. Let me lay it out for you. You're right here. Look at the map. See this little star? That's where you are now. And here's where I'm going to take you over here. And then I'm going to do this. And, and here's the map. And then this is going to come along. This is going to be, this is going to be a difficult struggle. I want you to go from here to there, but there's going to be some obstacles in the way. But I just want you to know, here's how we're going to get over those obstacles. It's going to take about six months. It's going to cost you about $500 to overcome this. But at the end, I'm going to give you this. If we had that, God, who gave us that plan, it would be much easier for us to go, man, God, I will chase after you and and, and what you think of me rather than what everybody else thinks of me. But God doesn't work that way. We chase after money, jobs, the right colleges for our kids, because we know that if I can control some of this, I know what I'll get out of it. If I can just get my kid into this college, I know that they'll have a much better chance of, uh, of having a great job and then they can take care of me when I'm old. You know, that, but, but it seems like, it seems like God is welling up the, in, in my own child's heart to go do something that doesn't involve college. And no, 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 we cannot do that, child. I know God is welling up in you to go this direction in a career field, but that, that won't be good for you because if I can control it all, I know at least a little bit about what I get back. And God goes, hey, 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 would you just trust me? You don't have it all laid out. You don't have all the answers to all the mysteries. You don't know your future. <coughs> you don't know what the job is going to hold. You don't know that if you send your kid to that college that they're going to end up being miserable for the next 50 years because they didn't do what I called them to do. And God says, listen, life is mysterious. You don't know the future. Would you just trust me with it? Because I've got it all under control. That's hard. Talk, especially when we start talking about our kids. So we want what we think is best for them. But we've got to trust God that He knows what's best for them. Here's the second thing let wonder spur you to know God better. 
That's a great thing. Here, listen, we're not talking about, we're talking about faith and mystery. What I am not asking you to do or what I'm not suggesting is that we just have like this blind faith. Well, the Bible says so. Well, the pastor said so. God's not interested in that. God told you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God is not asking for believers, people to follow him. I mean, just because some spiritual leader said so, because you misinterpreted a passage of the Bible and, and, and read it wrong and didn't understand what the original intent was. I mean, you can be a person of intellectual faith, and there, there ought to be some questions. Surely, you've got some questions about faith, about God, that cause you to, to wrestle sometimes. A lot of times, like as, as parents who are trying to raise up kids in faith, we tend to like take those questions and put them aside. We don't want those questions. We don't want to put any question out there to our kid that might make them go, oh, well, yeah, that doesn't make sense, so I don't believe God. So the questions that make us struggle, we try to hide them, sweep them underneath the rug so our kids never hear those questions because we don't want them to like question and all of a sudden become an atheist because they don't have the answer and then they're going to burn in hell eternally, right? We're like, so nope, nope, no questions. God's not scared of the questions. God is not afraid of the questions. There are all kinds of great apologists out there who have had the same questions that chased after the scripture, chased after God, and got good answers. Now, are there some questions that are going to be mysterious? Yeah, probably. There are a lot of questions out there that we wrestle with. Not going to get into this right now, but why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? It's a great question. We'll sweep it under the rug because we don't want our kids to like run and all of a sudden realize, oh, wait, if God is good and bad things happen, then either God is not really good or God is not really all-powerful. And then our kid's mind starts to spin and they go, oh, this whole God thing doesn't make sense, so I'm going to go worship Satan. You know, that's what we think as parents, so let's not talk about it. Do you know there are, there are some great answers to that question? In fact, if you're a reader, Randy Alcorn's written a book. I mean, it's, you got to be a reader. It's a thick, thick book where he handles that question and answers it in so many fantastic ways. And you read it and you go, oh, that totally makes sense. I never even thought about that. The answers are out there. You know, I put this in the, in the yap. If you're doing, if you do the things like the, the parent yap, you know, one of the things I suggested, and I put it in for our small groups as well, either kids get in a group of people together or you guys in a home group type scenario, or maybe you do it with your family, and you go, hey, let's just throw some questions out on the table. What are the ones that, that you wrestle with? What are the ones you want the answers to? I may not, and you go, I may not have all the answers, but we'll go and figure them out together. It's okay. Let the why, let the mystery push you to know God better. That's what scientists did. And what you'll find out is all of a sudden, the moments where you go, the resurrection stories don't all line up. Oh no, what do I do? All of a sudden you realize, ah, my faith is even stronger now that I got the good answers. It's an okay thing. Let, let the mystery, let the wonder drive you to know God better. Let me tell you a story. I'm running low on time. For me, we do this thing sometimes on, on mission trips. We call it uh, deep thought night. And really what I used to do is when like guys, I'd be with all the guys and we're like sleeping in a gym and there's like, you know, 20 guys on the mission trip and you got to get 20 people to go to sleep. And that's difficult. It takes like a miracle of God in and of itself. So what we started doing was having this deep thought night. Let's put all of, the, all of our air mattresses all kind of in a circle, the heads together, and somebody throw out a deep thought question uh, and we'll wrestle with it. And so we're just talking and thinking and we start to get tired and we start to, to fall asleep. Well, I, what I do, I always argue the opposite of what everybody else is 
point they're taking, whether it's like right or not. Just try to get them to think. And so one night, I mean, we're good, a good Texas, Central Texas conversation. What does is, what is the Bible say or what does God say about the death penalty? Is the death penalty right or wrong? I grew up in Texas. Now, like, if you jaywalk, we will kill you tomorrow, right? <laughs> teach, you to, teach you to be just and right. I'm, I'm, I'm wired more of the justice wiring than I am a grace wiring. And I got all these boys, and they're all like Texas boys too, and they're like, you know, electric chair. We'll just hang them in the street, you know, make a, make a, a symbol for everybody about crime and punishment. So I'm arguing the opposite side of this difficult question. And so really what's happening here is we're having this, what do I believe about this? What does the scripture say about it? It's a mystery. And as I start arguing through, and, and again, I realize I'm not asking you to come to the same place I am because it is, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great question for debate. But as I'm wrestling through and I'm arguing with them, I'm asking questions like, who, who begins life? And they're like, God. I'm like, that's right. I said, who has the right to take life? And they're like, oh, God. And so we're arguing back and forth. And like 20 minutes in, like uh, of wrestling through this deep question, all of a sudden I realized I wasn't for the death penalty. Like I had no clue. Like I started looking at scripture and the way I saw scripture and realized, man, I believe that God is the God of life. And that God, and it's God's, God's the person that takes life and gives life. Not me. And I, and I understand there's a, there's a whole other side of the argument and it, the, a theological side even, I get. But for me, I went, man, this deep question pushed me into the character of God through the scripture and changed the way I saw things okay. Ask the hard questions. Wrestle with it. You may not all land at the same place, but you'll be deeper and know Jesus more because of it. Here's the third thing. I'm going to ask you to do this, to relax and enjoy the journey. You can try to do anything. Let me use your kids for an example. Using that illustration of college and things like that, you can try to plan their lives for them. You can do that with your own life. You can can set it all up. Here, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. and, And and I, even though I sense God calling me to take this next step in my career, even though I, call, I feel God calling me to go over and build relationships with my neighbors, I'm scared, I'm not going to do it, and it's a little bit, I don't know what will happen. And, you know, like my neighbor, like next door to me, he flies a Cubs flag all the time. As a San Francisco Giants fan, that's like incompatible at the moment. Like, if God calls you to that, and you go, man, I don't really want to know that guy. But if, if you do and you trust that God's plan is better, Good things happen. I'm not saying it's always rainbows and butterflies, but you're, you're in, the, in the will of God. And here's what I will promise you. You will never be able to control it all. You'll never be able to make the plan happen exactly the way you want it to happen for your kids or for you. So why don't we just go back to that first thing we say and just trust God and then relax and enjoy the journey. And here's what I mean by that. You, you, you're in a, you're in a fit over a decision you have to make in your job. Your kids are doing something and you've been battling back and forth with them and, and you're afraid they're going to make the wrong decision. You want them to make this decision. And, and again, I'm not talking about their, like, the decisions like, hey, mom and dad, I want to go stay the night at my girlfriend's house. That's an easy answer. I'm talking about you know, the ones that, I just, that, that are, are, are fair to wrestle with and we're trying to control and manipulate and go this way. Why don't we just do this? Today, why don't we just love God and love people better than we did yesterday? And when God opens a door today, let's walk through that door today and trust God. 
And, and to say to those kids, listen, use college for example. Kids going, I think I need to call, God's calling me to a college here. And you're like, you know, I don't think you should go there. That's, that school's too expensive or that school's too far away or, 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 or whatever the case may be. Can we just say, hey, God, we're all going to trust that you're going to open the door because that's what we're asking for. And we're going to walk through the doors that you open. If you open them today or tomorrow or the next day or three weeks from now, we're, we're going to love you and love people better today than we did yesterday. And when you open the door, we will prayerfully walk through it. And when you close the door, we'll turn aside. And God, I don't know what college they're going to. God, I don't know what's going to happen if I say yes to this job or if I say no. But God, I'm going to today trust you with all of my decisions and relax and enjoy the journey where you take me. It makes life a little less stressful to know that God's got it under control. I'm going to leave you with this quote. W. Paul Jones said this, what one sees depends on where one sets up shop. Mine is at the entrance of the empty tomb. What one sees in life depends on where one sets up shop. And he said, I've set up shop at the empty tomb. That empty tomb is full of wonder. It's full of mystery. But it's also full of the promises of God. Would you look at life through the mystery and the wonder of that empty tomb? Trust God today. Do what he asks you to do. And relax and enjoy that journey. I'm going to pray for you and give you a few minutes to talk.